All right, good evening again. Glad to see everybody here. So as we start here in lesson four, I want to read um, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Now there's a, a question here on the first verse. If you've looked at different translations, some translations say, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, then verse 2 happens, right? But some translations, I, I don't know, it seemed about half and half, but nonetheless, say they say verse 1 is, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. So the one translation seems to be establishing a length of time that he reigned, but I think the I'm going to call it more of the original translation because if you look at King, the King James Version, it agrees with the first translation where it's really trying to tell us when Saul did this. And it says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, then we get into verse 2, Saul chose for himself three. I just think that sounds more correct. It may not be, though, so that's why I wanted to mention that. Either of those could be correct for our purposes I don't think it changes the overall uh, value of what we learn thereafter. But I did want to just mention that. So anyway, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and a 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Paul, uh, sorry, <clears throat> then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. There is on that 30,000 number, there was also some variation on that where it might have been like 3,000. I, I can't say. And uh, Anyway, so 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might 
greet him. And also one thing says bless him. So I think maybe he was looking for Samuel's blessing, but maybe not. Maybe he just was going out to greet Samuel. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. So, after reading, I know I was only supposed to read like the first half of 15, but I'm one of those people, I find it hard to just read half the verse, so we'll just have to deal with that. <laughs> anyway, so question number one, describe the situation that had developed leading up to Saul's sin. What was going on? Saul got tired of waiting on uh, Samuel, and so he took uh, Samuel's place as being the priest and offered up the burnt offering, which he was not supposed to do. That is what he did. But what was the situation that he was in? Oh, he was in battle, and he was asking for God to be with him. Okay, right. Well, they had attacked the Philistines, right? So the Philistines were responding. They came out in force, and they were outnumbered, right? Saul and his folks were outnumbered, and people scattered and went in hiding and everything like that. And like you said, Paul, uh, Saul... Saul went to uh, basically give the offering. So that and that answers question number two. What was Saul's sin? Now, how would you say what what would you say Saul's sin actually was? We know what he did was wrong. Presumption. Presumption. Yeah, that's actually a good. Yeah, presumption is good. Um, yeah. He did. He stepped out of his office and into the high priest's office, like 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 you are saying. He really stepped over his bounds. And um, Samuel was the one that was chosen and appointed by God, and that's who he was supposed to wait on, right? So, and uh, as you also mentioned, he did not keep God's commandment. He moved to do his own thing and what he thought was right. And that was in violation to God's law. He he says as much. He admits that he thought he needed to go ahead and do it because he was, uh, what, maybe he was fearful, sounds like. He was worried, you know. And and some of that can you can understand, but, uh, but he knew not to do that. Also in verse 10, um, when it says that Saul went out to meet Samuel, and it says, depending on your translation, it says either to greet him or in... The Hebrew it means to literally bless him. Yep. 
Um, so if Samuel, if Saul is going out thinking that he can bless Samuel, that is also an act of, or a presumptuous act of arrogance because blessings float kind of down the hill, right? So from God and on down through priests and prophets. So by Saul thinking that he can bless Samuel, he's essentially saying that he's above Samuel's position. So. And see, I wondered about that because it does say, you know, it could be either to meet him or to bless him. But I wondered which was which. Was he looking for a blessing from Samuel or was he looking to, like you say, it bless I think Samuel? It depends on which translation because they, you're right. Like, I think you can read it two different ways. Um, just given mine, um, the NASB, it seems like it's Saul wanting to give. Thinking he's going to bless Samuel. Wow. Okay. But you're right, there are other versions where it could have been Saul going out seeking to be blessed by Samuel. So, right. hard to understand. The, uh, the New King James Version is not clear if it's... But it does make it sound more like what you're saying, like more like Saul, as he, well, Saul went out to meet him that he might bless him. So it does read more in line with what you're saying, if I look at it. But you could almost read it the other way, but... Yeah, so if he was presuming to bless Samuel, that was really big presumption, too. So. It's interesting if you go back to chapter 12, verse 20. Samuel says to Saul, you have done all this evil. And then he tells him, but don't turn away from the Lord. Continue to serve the Lord with all your heart. And then down in verse 23, Samuel says, far be it from me that I can serve this by failing to pray for you. So Samuel's like, well, I'm still going to pray for you. And um, he says, I will teach you the way that is good and right. So he was still there trying to have an effect on Saul and be a positive influence, even though Saul was pretty headstrong. Right, right. So, okay, so in... So that's in 12 and verse 20. Now Samuel was speaking to the people though, right? And he was telling them, you have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. But he's talking to the people according to what I have here, unless there's something wrong with this. So he's saying, yeah, do not turn away, for then you would go after empty things. Uh, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. So he's really speaking to the people there. Yeah, it's okay. But it's interesting if you get that and think that Saul had that attitude, or Samuel had that attitude, and maybe he would apply that towards teaching Saul. Right. Well, I think Samuel was always, I think Samuel was trying to guide Saul, but as we know, Saul had this mind of doing his own thing and doing what he thought was right. I think we see that in multiple cases. Let's see. Um, all right. So, okay. So we, we've probably kind of covered this in a roundabout way, but how did this act show him to be unfit to be king in God's kingdom? He wasn't following the chain of command. He was right. away from Samuel. Right. He was not following. It should come from like God back 
then for him, right, it should come through God, Samuel, him, you know, or even even if God spoke to him, that would be fine, but not not him presuming to take Samuel's place. Yeah, he had to approach Samuel as well. Well, see, you were late, but God spoke to me, and so I, that's why I did. Because that would have been a lie. Well, yeah, that would have been a lie, but but had that actually happened, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, yeah, it matters. It matters greatly how things happened, and he, again, he presumed, and he went ahead and did his own thing, not following the Lord's command or commandment. So, question number three: How was the sin of Saul punished? That's right. His kingdom would not continue. And here, if you notice, I mean, it's kind of like a good and bad, right? Oh, wait, there it is. Okay, verse 13. At the end of that, Samuel told him, For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He would have established him as a, you know, a, a great lineage, a great king, line of kings over Israel. But instead, because he didn't wait and he didn't follow God's command, that's not what's going to happen. All right, so I'm going to move on. Does anybody have anything else on that before I do? Okay, going to move on. We're going to read the next few verses here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, 15 through 22. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shul, another company turned to the road to Beth Horon, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israel... <clears throat> Pardon me. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. Now I'm going to continue on to read through 14 down to 46 so that we can cover these questions here. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. 
Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan saw to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Zina, or Sina. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Uh, another translation of that show was teach. We will teach you something. I took this to be kind of a threatening thing. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor-bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling, and that also can be translated as terror, in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchman of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll, and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. 
Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Evan. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was honey, there was the honey, dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, and dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day, and the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil, or the plunder, and took sheep, oxen, and calves, and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. Then Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he, God, did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, 
You be on one side, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, Shall, Do uh, sorry. Shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So, if we look at question four here, before their battle, uh, describe the conditions here that, that they were in, again, with their battle here. Well, they were down more people than where they started at because a lot of people had been running and hiding, yeah. hiding in caves. I think they were down to 600 or right. so at that point. About 600 men. Yeah. Yep. And they were also at a technological disadvantage because they didn't have any swords or spears. Right. They, had no, they were unarmed. So they were, they were unarmed against their foes, and a lot of them were definitely in hiding. Um. Saul and his men seemed to be watching but not doing anything, and they were there for at least over a day because it was a day, at least a day later, that Jonathan uh, took action. And then raiders were sent out from the Philistines. They sent out raiders on the roads, and there was no opposition. Nothing occurred except that I guess they watched them go. I it doesn't, it doesn't say anything else about those raiders at that point. So, if we look at question five, who supplied real leadership in this battle against the Philistines? Jonathan, right, right. Really, who came out for Israel or came out for God, mainly, was Jonathan. Because he said himself, he said, God can deliver us you know, whether we be many or few, and I'm very roughly paraphrasing, but... So, uh, what characteristics did he manifest? He was bold. He was bold, yeah. He had a lot of common sense. <laughs> well, okay, okay, so he had common sense, okay. I don't... I don't know. Yeah, he had, he had guts, and... Yes. He had, he had a yeah he had an idea of what he was going to do right he had a strategy in mind he had what did his strategy rely on what they said well yeah what they said right 
And I mean, that's what he was looking for as a son, right? From God. He was, he was trusting that God was going to work for them. And if he didn't get the sign he wanted, then he was going to, I guess, I guess they were just going to, he said they would just stand there. Since we didn't see what happened in that case, I don't, I don't know exactly what the idea there was, but. Well, he showed humility in the fact that up until that point, he had been acting on what he understood um, God's will would be, not hmm. like a direct express command. But then when he got there, you know, he could have been wrong. Like he could have just been misinterpreting the situation. And so he stopped and asked, he, he let God provide a sign of whether or not he should proceed. If God was right. going to bless it first. So before he engaged in anything that might have just been his own pride leading him, he checked in with God first. Right. So he had that sign. So he'd know if it was just him or if it was actually, if it was actually from God. So, okay, so how did, this is kind of an odd question here, but I mean, I, the reference and all is, is useful, I think, but how did God help Israel to victory here? And there's, a, there's actually a number of different things, but they, they have a reference back to chapter 7 and verse 10, but... Uh, sounds like he confused the Philistines with either an earthquake or thunder or or maybe both. Right. If you're looking at chapter 7, verse 10, but either way, he, he confused the army so that they kind of turned on one another. And right. See, and I think that was the idea was that maybe he didn't do it exactly the way described in 10, but... He did confuse them very much, and it says that there was they had terror. Uh, it said they were fighting amongst themselves. There was a lot of confusion going on there, and uh, so I think very similar, just that all that combined to create this confusion in them. So. Uh, well, okay, so I think our time is up here for this evening. I apologize. I was starting to move on, and then I realized. Um, we'll pick up here next week. So I want to thank you all for your time and your attention. So just have a, a little invitation here. I'm reading from Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, all that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now this is the first section of uh, Psalm 119, which probably all of you know, that's a really big psalm with about 22 different parts or stanzas. 
Um, there's a, a lot to learn and, and read and understand in each part. And when I read this, this first, the first few verses, the author is noting that we are blessed when we walk in God's will, following his words and his commandment. And we are reminded that we should be keeping God's instructions diligently. If we look at verses 5 and 6, the author compares their life and the actual actions with God's will, their actual actions with God's will. Uh, like the author, a lot of times we find ourselves lacking when we're making that comparison in what we know we should be doing and what we do. We do not live up to God's commandments in our lives a lot of times. We are, you know, we're rightfully ashamed sometimes when we don't follow the Lord properly. But like the author in verses 7 and 8, we can rededicate ourselves. We can renew our purpose and strength in God. We can continue to learn God's will. We can continue to follow his word. We can keep his word in our hearts and live by it. And, you know, we ask God, our Father, just like just like he does, to not give up on us, you know, do not forsake us as we continue to learn and perfect our faith in him. And our God, and we should be very thankful for this, our God is faithful to us. And he does not abandon us. He will not abandon us. So if we ask for his wisdom, as again the, the author does here, he will provide that. So we have this time here. If anyone has any need or any reason and would like to come forward, please do so as we stand and sing.